Wednesday night, we started a brand new series for the adults. It's not too late. Um, Tony Evans, pastor's down in Dallas, Texas for decades, and uh, he does a six-week teaching on this, and just want to encourage you, man, uh, if you feel like you're not good enough, you've made so many mistakes, God can't use you, this series is for you. And um, I, I enjoy Tony Evans. Why? Because he teaches from the Bible. Yeah, that's becoming uh, hard to find today, friends. So, uh, and I have to tell you, I, my brother sends me Tony's podcasts every day because uh, he loves me. Um, anyway, uh, he's one of them this past week I listened to, and man, I just, um, Tony talked about his dad working on the docks in Maryland um, and coming home from work, um, working all different kinds of shifts and whatever. And he always made it a priority for he and his family to be in church. And uh, that resonates with me because my dad was the same way. Uh, If you knew um, working in downtown Chicago, you have to get up early, go to the train, wait for the train, get on the train, ride the train, get off the train, walk to work. And then you do that coming back home again. It was a full day process. And yet he was ready to go to church on, you know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday nights. And he modeled that for our family. And so Tony's dad did the same thing. And he, he talked about the value of that. And, uh, uh, you know, this is for another day and time, but he really put the men on high alert. That it's the men, the father, the dad's responsibility to make sure their family's in church. Yo, isn't that right? It's the dad's responsibility. Nobody else's. So um, it was good. Good, man. It was good stuff. So, yeah. Let's see what else is going on. You already know, so we don't have to uh, take time with that. I can tell you I really enjoy being here already, um, having the opportunity to worship and to give God praise because he's worthy. Um, Yeah. This past week, something's been kind of floating through my head. Um, We've been in the book of Daniel the series for a while, and we will continue to be in it for a while. But the thought occurred to me when you read when you read Daniel, um, you know, fifteen years old, and the dudes that came with him, teenagers, they seem to have their act together spiritually at, at such a young age. And when you track them through the book of Daniel, uh, the consistency, the the fervor, the passion they have to model the character of God in a foreign country, and a country that is so anti-God. It's really a brutal environment to live in, and yet they thrived in that. And for so many, I think, we, we can look at Daniel and say, man, 
that, that dude has to be like Superman, you know, Spider-Man, uh, whoever, you know, spiritually. Um, he had it together. I don't have it together. I can't relate to this book. And I just want to encourage you, man, if, if that's you, if you feel disconnected from the book of Daniel because of your past haunting you and uh, the memories and the regrets you might have, let me tell you, man, Daniel is a book to encourage you to no matter where you are in your walk in life, it's never too late to start living honoring to the Lord God. It's never too late. And uh, so I want to encourage you along those lines this morning. And, and uh, to kick it off, we're going to be talking about Garrett Kell. Um, did we put that slide up, what's wrong with me? Was that up there? All right, we need to, we need to put that up there. Because that's where we start from, what's wrong with me? And that's where a lot of people live. What's wrong with me? How come I can't get it together? Why can't I have my a life like Daniel, you know, who, who seemed to have it rolling for him spiritually? And maybe you've asked yourself that question, what's wrong with me, many, many times. And um, like I mentioned, we're going to be talking about Garrett Kell. He was a junior um, at Virginia Tech. And um, it was this junior year where he just had this sense that that God was following him. You ever have that feeling like God is following you? You know, maybe you're, when you drive in a car, sometimes uh, somebody pulls up really close behind you, which happened to me last week. It was a lady. I told my wife it was a lady. And right on my tail, man. Anyway, do you ever feel like God is following you that close? Huh? Yes or no? Do you ever feel like that? That God's on your tail? <laughs> yeah, yeah um, I, I know I do. I do. And Garrett did. Um, he was at a Halloween party and a lot of stuff was going on. And there was a, a friend of his... Um, uh, Dave that he had gone to high school with and, and, uh, Dave showed up on purpose because he wanted to really start impacting his friend Garrett. And so, uh, at the party, Garrett says, Hey man, you want some drugs? I got some pot. I got some cocaine here. Uh, we got some ladies here. Um, what do you think, Dave? And Dave said, Garrett, I put my life, my faith in Jesus Christ. I'm a Christ follower right now, and I don't do that stuff anymore. And after that party, Garrett said something happened in his life. Like there was a God awareness, and it began to haunt him. Like he wanted to shake God off. He wanted to keep living his life the way he had been living, but he couldn't. And so... um, he started reading the Bible. He said uh, it was like a moth toward a flame. There was that kind of an attraction. And even though he had been reading the Bible, 
he still lived his life the way he wanted to, but there was this battle raging. Should he relent? Should he surrender his life to Christ or not? And when spring break came around that year, Garrett had another friend named Adam, and they talked about what should we do for spring break? And they said, hey, let's go to Panama City Beach. That's where, you know, all the college students go over spring break, and we're going to do that too. So while they're driving down to uh, Panama City Beach, um, Garrett is telling um, Adam, hey, there's some weird stuff going on in my life, man. I've been reading the Bible, and it seems like God's trailing me. He's, He's following me, and I can't shake it off. And And as they got very close to Panama City, one of those airplanes with the banners behind it that was flying over their car. And it said, Jesus loves you. John 3.16. I couldn't find a banner that said that, so that's why it's blank. You could fill it in. Um, And he said, look it. He's after me. You know, no matter where he went, what he did. And so when they got settled in uh, at the hotel, they brought their beach chairs out to the beach and they brought their cans of beer with them and they cracked it open. And uh, it seemed like right after they did, a group of uh, students came by offering them pamphlets that talked about Jesus. And then they told them, hey, God has a wonderful plan for your life. And Garrett's thinking, this, this is crazy, man. And so that night they went to a nightclub, and, and um, when they figured it was time to go back to the hotel, three vans pulled up in front of the nightclub. And each one had an emblazoned words, God loves you and Jesus saves. And they, they, they came there on purpose to rescue people that were intoxicated where they couldn't drive back to the hotels or whatever, so we'll give you a free ride back to wherever you're going. And um, so the next day, it was raining, and Garrett and Adam said, hey, let's go out for breakfast. Uh, We got some time to burn here. So they're enjoying their breakfast, and suddenly the doors break open. They They didn't break open, but a group of 30 young people came, whoo, walking into the restaurant, laughing, and talking, and they had their Bibles in their hands. And one of them came up to Garrett and said, Hey, man, uh, I'd like to do a Bible study with you. And, and again, Garrett's looking, See, I'm, tell, I'm telling you, man, this isn't normal. And, and so, you know, they worked through that. And the next day it was sunny, so Garrett decided to go take a walk on the beach by himself. And there was a a young woman sitting by herself on the beach. And so Garrett figured, I'm going to go up and talk to her. And he asked her if she'd ever, if she had gone into the water yet. And she said, no, it's too cold. It's too cold. And Garrett said, yeah, I'd I'd need a few beers before I I get into cold water to help uh, temper that. And she looked at him and said, I don't know about that, but God has taught me that Jesus is all I need to be happy. All right. So he figured, you know, I'm going to go back to the hotel. This is getting to be too much. And he, so he heads back to the hotel, and there's a, a lady and another young man about Garrett's age uh, by the entrance of the hotel, and they signaled for him to come over to where they were sitting. 
And uh, Garrett said, man, this has got to be another divine setup, you know. It's got to be. So they talked for a while, and the lady's name was Stacy James, and, you know, it was kind of a conversation they had, getting to know you, you know, where do you live, what are you, what are you doing with your life, blah, blah. And so finally, Stacy asked, Garrett, what do, you, what do you know about Jesus? And Garrett said, you know, I really don't know much of the rest of the conversation the conversation we had, Stacy really challenged me about putting my faith in Jesus Christ. And she used Matthew twelve thirty. It says, anyone who isn't with me opposes me. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. And so the light finally went on in Garrett's heart, his soul, his core figured, you know, we, we, can, we can live a neutral life and we're not messing with God and we're not messing with the devil. You know, you can be right in the middle. This verse puts some light on it, doesn't it? Where Jesus himself says, hey, if you're not for me, you're automatically against me. That got Garrett's attention. And with Stacy and the young man that was with her, um, Garrett invited Jesus Christ into his life as his Savior. And he said, I was forever changed. That beach tri- trip, he said, was really the true line in the sand for me. That was, that was where my old life whoosh, and my new life came in. He said, when I went back to school after spring break, I started meeting with a dude about how and what it means to be a follower of Christ. And he helped me understand the basics of walking with Jesus. And uh, he says, since that trip, I've been walking with Jesus ever since. Not because of something wise or great in me, he said, but because Jesus set his affection on me and never stopped pursuing me. Never did. Garrett said, man, I tried to hide, I tried to run, I tried to explain God's pursuit for me away, but in the end, his grace prevailed. And the year after this trip to the Panama City Beach, uh, Garrett said, I went back. But I didn't go back to party. I went back with the team that was down there that haunted me the year before. I became part of that team. So... He said, uh, God sure loves to use the unlikeliest of people for his purposes. Isn't that right? Maybe you feel like that this morning. You feel unlikely that God would use you. Not true. Not true. Today, Garrett Kell is a pastor outside of Washington, D.C. So, what a story! What a testimony! What about the power? We sang about the power of God, you know, just a few moments ago, where God can change your life from here to here. We see in 2 Corinthians 5.17, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person, brand new person. You look at Garrett's old life, what he was involved in, and what he's doing today. The old is gone, the new has come. That's great news. 
And before we jump into Daniel, Ephesians 3.20, now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us. You see that? When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he has his mighty power working inside you. How does life change happen? It happens right here. His mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. That were for Garrett. Garrett thought it was too late for him. But God's grace intervened, right? To accomplish infinitely more than we might ask and think. Man. Is that happening in your life today? Is that mighty power of God at work in your life? Come on! Is it working in you? You know, when you were a kid in, in school and you had the vinegar and the baking soda, what happened? This vinegar over here was nothing. This baking soda over here was nothing. You put them together, whoo! Yeah, man, that's that mighty power of God, man. He's just stirring it up on the inside of you to make you more like Jesus Christ. That is so exciting. And we get fired up over that. Let's go to, uh, let's go to Daniel chapter 2. Mm-mm-mm. Starting at verse 1, one night during the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had such a disturbing dream that he couldn't sleep, and he called in his magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers, and he demanded that they tell him what he had dreamed. And as he stood before the king, he said, I have had a dream that deeply troubles me, and I must know what it means. Verse 10, the astrologers replied to the king, no one on earth can tell the king his dream, and no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked such a thing of any magician, enchanter, or astrologer. The king's demand is impossible. No one except the gods can tell you your dream, and they do not live here among the people. How depressing is that? Man, if you were living for a phony baloney God and you knew he wasn't here among, would you still live for him? No. The king was furious when he heard this and he ordered that all the wise men of Babylon be executed. And because of the king's decree, men were sent to find and kill Daniel and his friends. Verse 17, then Daniel went home and told his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah what had happened. And he urged them to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret so that they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon. A friend of verse 19, that night the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Isn't that cool? Father, we thank you this morning for what you did in Garrett Kell's life. Thank you, Lord. Someone who looked hopeless to ever be used by you. And Lord, you, were, you went down and you rescued him. You haunted him. You followed him because of your great grace. Lord, you've done it for each one of us as well. You don't give up on us, Lord. And we say thank you. 
And today, those watching online, those in this auditorium, all coming from different life experiences. You know each of us so well, Lord, and you know where we're landed right now, and we know that you can speak to us through your Holy Spirit in a very personal way because of your great love. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's roll through um, this outline. We're hoping to get to the bottom two. I can't sleep, verse one, uh, number one, verse one, Nebuchadnezzar had disturbing dreams. Debbie and I, um, this is a relative of Debbie. This past week we heard this. Uh, second cousin married some dude, and he wasn't a follower of Christ, really a, a rough dude, rough man. And she, his wife, was traveling, so they lived up in the Northeast. She traveled to Chicago on a business trip. While she's gone for like five days, he has a dream. And it's Jesus talking to him and saying, it's time you put your faith in me. It's time to give up from running from me. And he did. When she came back home from the business trip, he was all fired up, man. Jesus has changed me. And today, he's on the worship team in his church. But we're talking about dreams, man. And so often we're talking about in Muslim countries where God is using dreams to impact the Islam community. And I'm telling you, man, God is doing that in America today. He'll do whatever it takes to get your attention. Why? Because he wants you to be in heaven with him forever. So there's a dream, a modern day. Boom. Nebuchadnezzar says, I need help. Don't know what this dream means. And he calls his dudes in and they don't know what's going on. They don't know the dream. They can't interpret it. He gets so ticked off. He's got an anger issue. And he says, we're going to kill all you guys. They weren't too fired up over that. Three, doom's creeping closer. Um, He ordered that all the wise men of Babylon be executed. And number four, death knocks on Daniel's door. So first of all, it was the four teams that were in the palace with Nebuchadnezzar that were told, you're dead meat. And, And then there was a memo that was sent out throughout Babylon, that Daniel and his team would be executed as well because they were considered wise men. And so men were sent to find and kill Daniel and his friends. And when Ariok, the commander of the king's guard, came to kill them, what happened? Death is knocking on the door. How would you respond If that happened to you. Well, Daniel, it says, wisdom for a crisis. Daniel handled the situation with wisdom and discretion. Friends, that should be, as a follower of Christ in our culture today, we should be walking in wisdom. 
and discretion. And Daniel remained calm, and he went to see the king. Ariok gave him permission to go see the king. We'll see what happens. And um, verse 16, Daniel went at once and requested more time, and the king gave it to him. Number two, pray in a crisis, 17, 18. Then Daniel went home and told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah what had happened. And he urged them to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret so they would not be executed along with the other wise men. Even Daniel, even though God had given him this gift, we'll get to that in a moment, of knowing dreams and visions, interpreting them, he didn't know what was going on. And because Daniel had, you know, he had won that award for being one of the most wise men in Babylon, he didn't let that go to his head. Instead, he went back home and he told his friends, we need to pray. In a crisis, we should be praying. We should pray first. And we see that Daniel, he's not saying, hey, man, this isn't fair. We weren't in that. We weren't in the palace when, you know, asking about the dream. We have a a death sentence on us. It's not right. But here's the thing. Last week we, we mentioned Catherine Marshall was talking about how can you participate in the school of prayer. And she said there's two questions in the test. The first one is, are you in real need? And I would say to you this morning, I am in real need, friend. I am. I'm in real need. And the second is, do you admit that you're helpless to handle that need? And I will say, yes, I am helpless, Lord, to that need. In other words, I need your help. And she goes on to say that Jesus even endorsed that in John 15, 5, for apart from me, you can do nothing, Jesus said. So let's talk about prayer. I want to take a few moments here because I think prayer uh, for people that know Christ, we've had different experiences with it. We've tried it. It didn't work. You know, we, we, we prayed and we never got an answer. And so we became like, there's no point in me praying. Let's walk through that uh, this morning. The requirement of Prayer, Daniel teaches us, is to confess our need early to the Lord. That, that's the starting point. Lord, I need you. Lord, without you, my plans mean nothing. Prayer is a confession of my weakness. When you pray, you're confessing to the Lord that you don't have it together. Is there anything wrong with that? I know for men, you know, for the Mako men, macho, that's a struggle because we're supposed to have it together. But let me tell you, as a man of God, God wants transparency in us. And he wants to use us as men. And we need to walk in humility to say, God, I don't know it all. I don't claim to know it all. I need your help. Sometimes by even being prayerless, it's saying to God, I don't really think God can make a difference in this situation. 
You know, I've signed off already. That's the way it's going to be. It's always going to be that way. Sometimes people are, you know, they, that little voice in the back of your head that says, you don't want to be a hypocrite because you didn't pray before the crises. And now when a crisis comes, you want to start praying. Maybe that's happened to you. Maybe God picks up the placard and says, not fair, not fair. You didn't pray to me when things were going good for you. So why shouldn't I answer your prayer now when you're in a crisis? Now you call out to me. See, some people get hung up on that. But Daniel teaches us in this text that it's never too late to pray. It's never too late to pray. If you haven't prayed in the past, today's a good day to start. Right? Yeah. And you know what? A crisis can be the very instrument that God uses to promote prayer in our personal lives. We see that Daniel doesn't know the interpretation, doesn't know the dream. But he knew where to go to find out the answer. See? Dallas Willard, uh, Christian leader, author, Put it this way, at the beginning of each morning, I commit my day to the Lord's care. I have already placed God in charge. I no longer have to manage the weather, airplanes, and other people. Takes the pressure off, doesn't it? It sure does. So those men, they felt an urgency. And and Debbie and I have talked about this, man. There's times when you uh, hear something. Maybe something in your family, something wherever. And it's like a potential crisis and the weight of it overwhelms you. And you call out to God with an urgency. There's an urgency to the prayer. It's not like, well, when I get around to it, I'll pray. No, there, you, you go to the Lord right then. You go, oh God, help! Because it's urgent. It's not a game. And so, there was a death sentence on these men. And so, do you, how do you think they prayed? You know? A death sentence. Paul had a death sentence on him in 2 Corinthians 1. It says, in fact, Paul says, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. (laughs) It's pretty cool, huh? And he did rescue us from mortal danger, and he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him, and he will continue to rescue us. Yeah. And you are helping us by praying for us then many people will give thanks because God has graciously answered so many prayers for our safety. Paul, you would think, man, Paul, the great apostle, God would just automatically protect him. But no, no, no. It says we expected to die, man. Our lives were threatened. People wanted us dead. And we stopped relying on ourselves. That's where God wants us to go. Really, at the end of the day, he wants us to stop relying on ourselves and to say, Lord, I need your help. You're the only one. Ruth Graham, Billy's wife, once wrote, We are told to wait on you, Lord, but there is no time. My heart implores upon its knees, hurry, please. 
You ever been there? Yeah. Yeah, we've been there. But we know that Daniel, going into Daniel 6, that Daniel had a habit of praying. And that's, that's where we want to go today, is that we want to develop a habit of prayer. It's a rhythm. And you get into it. And it's like reading your Bible. It's a rhythm. And you pray. It's a rhythm. It's, uh, it's a lifestyle. And you don't have to think about it. You don't have to debate it. It's just done. You do it. And Daniel knelt down as usual. So he was in the habit and with the windows open toward Jerusalem. And he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done. You see, there's a habit. It's a rhythm. Giving thanks to his God. And so, even though they were far from Jerusalem, Daniel established that habit. He prayed in Jerusalem and he's praying in Babylon. So you can pray no matter where you go where you're at, because God is there. He is. So why pray? Why do we pray? A lot of, pe- a lot of Christians think they're not good enough. You know, I'm not good enough to pray. I don't know why God would answer. You know, we tried praying and it, it didn't work, so, you know. This past week I've been in Isaiah and Hezekiah in Isaiah 37, the Assyrian king, man, just intimidates. He, the, the, this Assyrian army was the strongest army in the world back in, in Isaiah 37 here. And they, they just destroyed nations, man. And so they, he wrote a letter to Hezekiah to intimidate him. You think your God's going to do anything? These other people thought their gods would do it, but we just destroyed them. And what does Hezekiah do? That's right. He takes the letter. He goes to the temple and he puts it out in front and he prays. Oh God, will you help? Okay. Will you will you help us, Lord? It's a great it's a great chapter to read. And I encourage you to do so. But Hezekiah, because he went to the Lord, the Lord came back and said, Hezekiah, because you sought me first, I'm going to protect you. In fact, not one bullet's going to be shot at Jerusalem. That's pre-bullet days, by the way, in case you were wondering. But Daniel and his friends, they, there was an urgency. And, um, you know, if you want to, you think you have to be so polite when you pray, all you have to do is read the book of Psalms, man. I read Psalm 42 yesterday, and uh, that's where I landed. And that, holy cow. Shall we go there? Real quick, Psalm 42, verse 4. My heart is breaking. Why am I discouraged, verse 5? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior God. Now I am deeply discouraged, but I will remember you. Mm. Each day the Lord pours out his unfailing love. Oh God, my rock, I cry, why have you forgotten me? Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. Is that raw prayer right there? That's pretty honest, wouldn't you say? 
And so you don't need to sanitize your prayers, man. God already knows what you're thinking. He already knows. So tell him. David, perfect example there. You talk about a spiritual roller coaster in that chapter. Holy smoke, he's here, he's here, he's here, he's here. All to say that God loves to hear from you, no matter what you're going through. John Ortberg, well, Daniel had his band of brothers with him in Babylon. He knew where to go. Guys, we need to pray. It wasn't just Daniel, but he went with his team. A couple weeks ago, I was talking to a a guy from church here, and he was just bragging about the Monday night men's study, how, how much it means to him and what it's done for him spiritually. Because we all need a team around us, right? Yes. In John Ortberg, uh, pastor, Christian author, tells the time when he was traveling overseas and he got settled into his hotel room and he noticed the TV control remote listed a bunch of conventional uh, settings. And then one was one listed adults-only channel. And it was free. And that kind of shook John. He said, typically, when you, when you go into a hotel room, you have to pay for uh, adults-only material. But he said, because it was free, he, he said, it just kind of shook my core, like, man. And he said, initially, he said, i got to talk to one of the guys on our team to hold me accountable on this trip that he could check with me and hold me accountable if I did or didn't watch that channel. And this is what he said. But I immediately went into resistance mode. In other words, he pushed back on that thought for accountability. I don't need to think like, need to do this. It's, it would be embarrassing to me. I don't, I don't know this guy very well, and I don't want him thinking that I'm some kind of impulse-ridden wacko. I fought the idea through most of the afternoon, And even at dinner, when we had dinner together, man, he said, I couldn't shake the thought. So finally, before we were going to leave for our rooms, I asked him and I told him, I said, I want you to hold me accountable tomorrow morning for breakfast. And the man said he would. At breakfast, the man asked John how his night was, and he he said the night had gone good without any problem. Then this man that John had asked for accountability opened up to John to discuss a vulnerable issue in his life that he normally would never have discussed, he said, if I didn't open up first. See, God used this man in my life, John said, and me in his, and either in in a way that neither of us could have foreseen on our own, But John says, do you see the value of being held accountable and how we need each other? And that's where Daniel was in Babylon. We need to choose our friends wisely. Proverbs 13, 20, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with the fools and get into trouble. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, for bad company corrupts good character. That's very true. It's very true. 
Number three, the answer resolved the crisis, verse 19a. That night, the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision. The secret, why? Because God knows everything. Do you know that? Is there anything God doesn't know? No. God knows everything. Does God know everything? Come on, talk to me. Okay, let's get a healthy yes there. Does God know everything? Yeah, man. That's right, he does. I can't hide anything from him. When I go into a closet and close the door and it's dark in there, God knows everything about me. We think we can hide from him. Not true. Not true. David said in Psalm 139, Oh, Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I am going to say even before I say it, Lord. Four verses, David chooses the word no. God knows four different times in these four verses about him. Does that get David fired up? Absolutely. Does does that give David confidence to live his life? To the Lord, absolutely. It sure does. And we go to Corey Ten Boom, who put it this way, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. To a known God. Garrett found that out. He could know God. And that God reveals secrets. So unanswered prayer, why is there unanswered prayer? We're, we're always challenged to pray, but why the unanswered prayer? First of all, for those prayers that are unanswered, let's check our relationships with people. Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty four, I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you received it, it will be yours. Doesn't that sound great? Huh? Yeah, man. And then you go to verse 25. But when you are praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Jesus is saying, I know your humanity, and I know as humans you hold grudges, and you hold unforgiveness. And if you have a grudge or are holding unforgiveness against somebody else, I will not forgive you. I will not answer your prayer. That's what he's saying. Have you been offended? We've all been offended. Do we need to forgive someone? We've all needed to forgive somebody. Are we holding a grudge? So easy to hold a grudge. How can we say we love God and yet we hold stuff against someone that he's created? You see? It's imperative that we put all those relationships on the table and make sure we're not holding anything against anybody. So our hearts are wide open to God. Paul, you would say, he would be the one that God would answer all his prayers. He prayed three times for God to remove the thorn in his side. And instead of answering Paul's request... This is what God told Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Paul doesn't pout. 
He doesn't say, well, I'm by, if you're not going to answer that prayer, forget it, God. No, no, no. He, he's good with that. He's okay with what God says to him. And now Paul says, I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. See? He boasts about his weaknesses. And so God, God desires that open communication. Number four, give praise to the one who reveals. Verse 19b, then Daniel praised the God of heaven. He said, praise the name of God forever, for he has all wisdom and power. He controls the course of world events. Aren't you glad that's in the Bible? When you think the world is out of control, man, it's just going in which way, upside down, whatever. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. He reveals deep and mysterious things that know, knows what lies hidden in the darkness, though he is surrounded by light. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors, for you have given me wisdom and strength. You have told me what we asked of you and revealed to us what the king demanded. If you were Daniel... And God revealed to you the secret. What would have been the first thing you would have done? I know me. I would have, I would have taken the, the subway to the palace, man. Give me to the palace ASAP. Why? Because otherwise I'm a dead man. There's a death sentence. I got to tell the king, man. I know the answer. Wouldn't you do that? To save your life? What's Daniel do? First thing he does is he gives praise to God for the answer. Isn't that cool? Life has a way of just pushing us on the run. And yet Daniel, even though his life was on the line, he first gave praise to God. May we learn that secret. Psalm 28.2, this is probably what Daniel and his friends prayed initially. Listen to my prayer for mercy as I cry out to your help, as I lift up my hands toward your holy sanctuary. Now in verse 19, this is probably what they prayed, verse 6 and 7. Praise the Lord, for he has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord is my strength and shield. I trust him with all my heart. He helps me and my heart is filled with joy. I burst out in songs of thanksgiving. That's good, huh? That's good, man. What did, what did Daniel do instead of taking the subway to the palace? He puts on a worship CD. YouTube. Uh, wherever, wherever we're at, we're at technology-wise today. Man, he put it on, and he poured it in, man. Whew. Let's give thanks to the Lord. There's a worship song I've kind of landed on. And one of the lines is, when the chaos comes my way, I will choose to praise. Is that good? When chaos comes my way, I will choose to praise. Yeah. Daniel took time to Give God the credit. Isn't that cool? You know? He got the award, all these awards, you know, trophies in his, in his family room, you know, most wise blah in Babylon. 
It didn't go to his head, man. God was most important to him. Kept his perspective. Psalm 92, it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to the Most High. It is good to proclaim your unfailing love in the morning, your faithfulness in the evening. Man, we thank God for that, don't we? C.S. Lewis, by the way, when he first put his faith in Jesus Christ and he was reading the Bible, he kind of freaked out at the volume of verses where God encouraged his people to praise him, to lift up holy hands, to give thanks to the Lord. And and C.S. Lewis thought, what, is God some kind of an egomaniac? You know, he's got to be told how great he is all the time. But as C.S. Lewis' faith grew, he ended up writing a book, Reflections on the Psalms. And this is a portion. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The, 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 the delight is incomplete till it is expressed. It is frustrating to have discovered a new author and not to be able to tell anyone how good he is, to come suddenly at the turn of the road upon some mountain valley of an unexpected grandeur and then have to keep silent. I find no one to share it with. In commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. That's it. When we come together, like on Sunday mornings, man, and we worship, we're enjoying God. We're making his heart smile to say, God, you are so awesome. God gets fired up over that when his created beings in the image of God Tell him how great he is. He just loves it because he loves you so much. And he loves me. And so, today, as we look at Daniel, may we learn the secret of praying first and following it with praise. Like C.S. Lewis, when I first put my faith in Christ, as a man, this is where I was. But as my faith journey grew and matured, I started doing this. And then I started doing this. And then I turned up the volume. Boop, 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 boop. Because as, as a man, to be able to tell God how great you are, it's an incredible opportunity, really. Women don't seem to have a problem with it, but men do, you know? And I just want to challenge men, do something, just kind of break. Break the... Whatever. Because God, you're worthy. Right? You're worthy. We all sit in a prison cell 
waiting the final moment because we have a death sentence on us, like Daniel did. The executioner's steps are walking down the corridor. We can hear that echo off the stone walls. We have our head between our knees, and we don't look up as he opens the door because we already know what he's going to say. He's going to say, it's time to pay for your sins. But we hear something else today. Instead of, it's time to pay for your sins, the guard says, you're free to go. They took Jesus instead of you. So the door swings open and you're able to go out into the sunshine and the shackles are gone, the crimes pardoned, and you're wondering what happened. What happened? What happened? Grace happened. Grace, the grace of God. Christ took away your sins and my sins. He took our place. Where did he take them? He took them to the top of Calvary where Jesus hung on the cross and he endured the nails of the Romans and the mockery of the crowd and the spear from the soldier and even the wrath of God because that's where the great exchange took place. Romans 3.24, For God sent Jesus to take the punishment for our sins and to satisfy God's anger against us. We are made right with God when we believe that Jesus shed his blood sacrificing his life for us. And so, just like Garrett Kell had to do that years ago, maybe you're here today and you've never put your faith in Christ. The prison door has been opened. Jesus has taken your place. Today's a great day to say, Jesus, I put my trust in you. I believe that you shed your blood and you took my place. Will you do that? Father, we thank you today for the opportunity that we've had to spend with you and your people. We thank you, Lord, for the encouragement we get from Daniel to pray no matter what's going on and to praise you, to tell you how great you are because you are faithful. And today, Lord, I pray for those online and those in the auditorium that God created each one of us to be with him. But our sins separate us from God and we cannot have our sins forgiven because we do good stuff. Jesus had to pay that price and he did by going to the cross. And when you put your trust in him like Garrett Kell did, like so many in this auditorium and those online have done, Jesus comes in. Life with Jesus starts and it lasts forever. Will you say yes to him this morning? And maybe... Right here, you'd say, put your hand up to say, man, that's me. That's me. I was running around like Garrett, man. I, I was running away from God, and God kept pursuing me. I just want to give you an opportunity. 
That's me. So, Lord, here we are. You know us, as David said, you know everything about us. And yet you love us so. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.